Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Shruti Kapoor, who is a former co-founder and CEO of Wingman, which is probably acquired by Clary, which is an actionable conversation intelligence platform that unlocks insights from every sales interaction. Uh, Wingman was recently acquired by Clary, uh, aiming to achieve the goal of revenue collaboration and, and governance. Uh, welcome to the show, Shruti. Thanks, Rohit. Great to be here. And that sounds like a mouthful uh, in terms of the introduction. <laughs> Happy to dive into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, you have been uh, part of the Y Combinator program, which is like a prestigious program. Why, why did you want to build Wingman and what, what was the entire story all about? Sure. So I think, um, you know, there are always the real stories and then the stories we tell ourselves when we want to start companies. Um, For me, uh, it was, you know, before I started thinking about the idea or I had a timeline in mind that I wanted to start up, uh, it was just like a real desire to get my hands dirty and build something from scratch. Um, And I had been working at a fund for eight years where we were investing in really early stage technologies and trying to actually take that uh, you know, as the fund itself to commercialization. And, you know, some parts of that process were interesting. Some parts were definitely frustrating because we didn't have full control on like, you know, I couldn't go and build that business. Um, so, you know, through that process, I was like, you know, it's really exciting. It's really fascinating to see technology, but it's also frustrating not to have the control over it. So I wanted to build some uh, a tech startup on my own. Um, but then I didn't have like, you know, a specific idea that I was working on. And um, I joined uh, another startup at that point. And there I was, um, you know, helping them build out like the sales team, figuring out their go-to-market motion. And through that process, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe like, you know, there's no better way of doing this when it comes to, you know, sharing voice of customer with your product teams, understanding, you know, why a particular rep is doing so well. So things like that, like it kind of kept nudging at me, like, hey, what if I could have all of these conversations recorded? Wouldn't I get a lot more value out of it? Um, And that's kind of, you know, the little seed that got planted. And, you know, of course, many iterations, many customer interviews later, uh, we had Wingman. Interesting that you, you know, you mentioned you worked in a fund, uh, but then you later on, uh, you know, started working uh, for a startup. How does an operator, you know, somebody who wants to become a founder, yeah, how do you get to decide, you know, what is, what should be the right path? Because uh, you've been part of a fund, then you were an operator, then a founder. But if you could go back in time, would you, uh, would you start before, or do you think the, the VC route or the startup route uh, would be better? You know, what what are your thoughts for listeners, you know, who want to build something from from the go? You know, one is nothing in life prepares you for the journey as a founder, uh, right. right? I think that's that's what it is. And I think, um, you know, I was unprepared on many, many levels. Like I didn't have exposure to what uh, building a SaaS business looked like. I didn't have exposure to selling to the U.S. market. Um, you know, I and of course, I didn't know uh, how to actually take a software product all the way to uh, you know, maturity. Um, so I think there are so many things that you will not know. Uh, and there are going to be a few things that you will know from your experience. Um, maybe the fastest uh, path to learning a lot of those is being in an early stage startup where you 
kind of get to see a lot more uh, of the puzzle um but you know honestly there are going to be always many unknown unknowns hmm interesting and uh, you, you know you you part of y combinator and, and that's a that's a that's a question i'm always uh, you know willing to ask y combinator founders it's it's such prestigious you know sometimes you think for startup founders even more prestigious than doing your your mba from a v school what what was your entire experience with y combinator and and does it really live up to the hype um so you know i would say it's very similar to uh, what you actually compared it to right like it's going to a very prestigious mba school in some sense um, right of course you you know you go through a training program in an mba school but uh, apart from that what do you get from the mba school you get a great brand right which helps you get a good job in the case of y combinator you get a great brand and the prestige that helps you Uh, you know have better fundraise outcomes um you got a network uh, for life right uh, and i think with y combinator that's the same um and then of course you know along the way you're learning lessons but especially in the startup ecosystem and the way the y combinator program runs is you essentially get lessons um you know and a lot of lessons on failure from other founders right and that's really valuable because uh one thing is that you know you are constantly consuming all these great stories in the media uh which are all stories of success right like nobody likes to write about a story of a failure right. um but building a startup is really hard and i think the great thing that my combinator does is they go out of their way to expose you to those stories of how hard it was right like even for successful companies like airbnb and stripe like there are you know a million small failures that we don't get to see from the outside um the other thing is uh, and uh, you know something that y combinator of course has a lot of data on is that the top reason why startups fail is not anything else but founder relationships um right and so i think um, the other thing that we personally learned was like it's really important to invest time and energy into those because uh it's very easy for people to run their parallel paths and you know like we are three founders um i look after all things on the business side i have a product co-founder and i have an engineering co-founder it's very easy for the three of us because we have such uh, you know nicely cleanly divided roles to say i will run in my own lane and you know i know everything about product i know everything about engineering and i don't need to talk to the others i'll run it like my fiefdom but what do you like need to do is to make sure that you are you know open to taking decisions collaboratively you have the understanding on why a certain decision is getting made even if it's not you know directly impacting your functional area so uh, i think that was the other lesson that we learned and they you know kind of literally do a founder workshop to help you understand how to have those tough conversations with your co-founders um so i think you know some practical lessons a lot of branding for sure and uh, a lot of fundraising interesting and uh, you know i've i've been into into business development and partnerships and uh, and sales so you know how 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 do you how do you define a sales book you know what is uh, what is uh, would be a sales book and what what are some of the core things that a sales book could accomplish uh, sorry a sales a uh, sales playbook a sales playbook yeah, yeah. so i i think that answer really varies uh, right depending on what is the business right. um what we 
essentially what companies try to do in a sales playbook is to codify what helps you get the most success right so that everybody is not recreating everything from scratch um the way i think about this is literally in like three phases right when you have somebody who's super new right um and you know maybe they don't understand sales they don't understand your industry and they don't understand your product now if you have to onboard them as a sales person then what is your best bet right your best bet is to provide them as much uh, detailed guidance and be as directive or prescriptive as you can be right once they begin to develop that understanding um you know you can kind of loosen the screws so you can take a step back and you can say hey i no longer need to tell you exactly what to say but you know i can let you operate in a bigger structure right so i can say hey you should still do discovery this is how you should still talk about the product uh, or you know there are like going to be three parts to this product demo etc and then once they look like they are good at experimenting and they're good at defining their own playbooks and you can you know take another leap of faith and say hey now you don't even need to maybe stick to the structure you can you know experiment a little bit more and maybe you can help us define the next iteration of our playbook so i think um you know it's it depends not just on the process uh, on the product that you're trying to city of the sale but also on the person so i don't think it's also a playbook that fits all um what should that playbook contain i think uh, it has to contain anything that helps your seller understand what makes your buyer sell more to have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of beautiful lives increased the social media presence by 10x they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called social pilot social pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts use lifestylemastery.com/socialpilot to get a 14 day free trial Mm, interesting and uh, and especially when it comes to early stage startups do you think a founder is responsible or do you think the sales guy the head of sales guy is responsible for for creating the uh, the sales playbook uh, absolutely the founder uh, mm. you know i don't think that there is a head of sales early on in a startup right. um and i think we learned this the hard way through our own experience and um, you know what happened was like while i'd done a little bit of sales i didn't have experience of selling to the us market so when mm. i started the company i was like hey it would be great if i could quickly bring in somebody who has the expertise and then you know they can help me set up the playbooks and they can help me you know accelerate the whole process instead of me learning and failing um you know and the person we brought on board was you know great uh, they were super successful like one of the metric was hey you have to set up like 40 meetings with um you know this icp of people uh, within like a month or two months and they were able to set up those 40 meetings but not one of them converted right and the reason was that in the early stages when people are actually buying they're not you know you don't have a brand for the product they can't trust the product they have to trust you right they have to trust you as the founder to say that okay i believe that this person will be able to deliver the value that they're talking about now if you bring in uh, um you know a head of sales or like a consultant or somebody they are like this person doesn't have the skin in the game now i might buy this product 3 months later this person might no longer be with the company um so 
I think it's very important for the founder to be the first person doing the sales, not just because they have the vision, uh, you know, for the space so they can sell that better, uh, not just because they probably are the people who understand the product the most, uh, but I think primarily because they are, you know, the reason for trust uh, with the customer. Mm, interesting. Very nice. And, uh, and especially when uh, like you, you, you talked about hiring uh, somebody senior, but especially if you're looking at early stage startups, uh, do you advise founders to have a, uh, like a sales rep, a junior sales rep or a, a sales leader to come in? Obviously, the context would be different from, from B2B to marketplace, but, uh, but, but, but what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think, uh, and I can maybe only comment from a B2B perspective on this, right? Uh, I think from a B2B perspective, uh, the founder, to some extent, has to also be the first salesperson, right? Um, but then at the same time, you can bring in somebody junior to, you know, kind of help you uh, scale up because you can't be doing everything and there are lots of other things to do. Right. Um but beyond that, right, uh, the idea is that you as the founder uh, and the reason why you need to be in charge of sales is because you need to take accountability and you need to understand that if, you know, something is not selling, uh, there are probably more fundamental questions to answer, right? You Like if you bring in somebody, you don't know whether it was because the salesperson wasn't doing a good job. It was because the product wasn't good. It was because, you know, were you selling to the wrong target audience? There are like so many things that could be going wrong. And you want to take away at least one variable uh, and then experiment systematically with the others. Mm, interesting. And, um, I, I, and you know, I'm, I'm always looking to uh, to create a sense of urgency among my, my sales teams. So uh, any, any advice for, you know, sales leaders uh, on you know, how should we, should we use urgency uh, or do you have any tools which helps us uh, create an urgency in deal closing, closing process? Yeah, so I think uh, that's always a tough one, especially right. in these times, right? And it can be a big cause for revenue leaks uh, in the system because, you know, people feel that I'm going to close this and then they feel they're going to close it the next month and, uh, you know, it doesn't happen. Um, when we look at data, what we see is, you know, if your, uh, you know, time to winning a deal is say 15 days, uh, right? Your time to losing a deal is often 45 days. And the reason for that is, uh, you know, people don't like to call out the bad news. Um, so the tool uh, in terms of creating that urgency, I think, lies at the very start of that sales process, which is in the discovery uh, right. So you need to spend that time in discovery, in understanding, you know, why is why why is this person trying to solve the problem? Um, right. And if you can work with them um, in some sense to go back and see how does that align with their own KPIs or, you know, what impact can this have on their own career? Uh, and if you can, through that sales process, keep making that connection stronger. Uh, you know, you have a much better chance, uh, right? Because at the end of the day, everybody is selfish, right? Either they want to save on effort or they want to get their next promotion. Um, yeah. Or maybe, you know, it's something that helps them get their next headcount. Like whatever it is, right? You have to believe that everybody's going to operate in a selfish manner and you have to find what those selfish reasons are for your buyer. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, and you know, uh, from Wingman, you have um, analyzed a lot of sales calls and you also have come up with a, um, uh, with a research report. I'm really interested to understand and know, uh, you know, what, why, uh, you know, how do sales guys uh, handle objections and how do they, how, how does the leak really happen? Any insights you can share with us? Yeah, so, you know, the first time we uh, looked at the data was at the start of the pandemic. And uh, the reason why I looked at it was everybody was telling me, hey, you know, budgets have frozen, I can't sell anything. And then we look, went back and looked at the calls. We were like, you know, people are not actually talking so much about budget freezes. Uh, you know, yes, it has increased, but it's not having a big impact on deal win rates. But what is having a big impact on deal win rates was the fact that people's timelines had extended because there was so much uncertainty. Um, Now, you know, skip two years ahead and we all seem to be in the middle of a recession of some sort. And nobody again knows, you know, how deep or long this will be. And so again, there is like a huge wave of uncertainty. But when you look at the same sales call data, because the context is different, the uncertainty is also about the economics. Um, What we are seeing is that the best way to handle uh, those budget discussions um, especially in today's environment, is by switching the conversation to ROI. And so what we see is when, you know, there's a budget objection, um, right, and the person brings in ROI instead, your deal win rates actually go up by 30 to 40%. Um, so uh, it, it's very interesting. Like, you know, I think some things are intuitive, some things aren't. Um, mm. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of data that we are studying on understanding, you know, both in the current environment, what is happening? And then overall, um, you know, what are some of the takeaways from uh, winning deals? Mm, right, interesting. And, uh, you know, I had a bit of an experience before the pandemic happened. And, uh, you know, uh, and my sales experience was quite different uh, when I was meeting, uh, you know, customers face-to-face and, you know, after, uh, you know, when it became a Zoom uh, Zoom calls. Any, any interesting insight that you found since you've been into into the business side of the of the business, uh, what is the most effective way uh, to uh, to sell, especially on Zoom? And are there a lot of touch points which a sales guy needs to do in order to win uh, win the deal? Yeah, so I think uh, one thing that has happened with uh, Zoom is that you can now have kind of more frequent meetings with uh, multiple stakeholders. Um, uh, you know, not at the same time, right? So earlier, if especially if you were in a big enterprise type of selling motion, you would set up a meeting, you know, one month out, you would travel somewhere, and then you would want to make sure that, you know, all of the five or six people important to that meeting uh, on the buying panel are in that room, right? Today, because of Zoom, what happens is that uh, you might be doing this, uh, you might be doing like literally five different meetings with those five stakeholders at different points in time, um, but you don't have to wait a month to set up that meeting, right? So that's the good thing. Now, what happens in in that environment where you're having five different meetings versus a single meeting with all the stakeholders is that there is a huge uh, coordination overhead for your buying champion, right? Because now they need to go back and like kind of debrief with everyone and you know, get everybody's time and all of those things. So uh, I think some of those pain points, we have to uh, be much more proactive in realizing from the buying side. 
and see where technology can help us right so if instead of trying to set up like three different meetings um can i actually you know set up that one meeting nicely annotate the recording send snippets of it later so that i don't have to kind of you know repeat that but i can help with asynchronous decision making then that helps um the other thing that we've seen happen is the buying committees have actually become larger because you know both uh, especially now with the pandemic uh, and the fact that it's much easier for me to involve more people right like earlier if i couldn't get you in the room then you were probably not going to be a decision maker on that deal mm. but today even if i can't get you on, in the room uh, you know you might still be involved in the decision making or i'll just set up more meetings for you so your decision your buying committees are larger and uh, that again like you know adds some friction uh, adds of course maybe deal cycles um so those are some of the changes we are seeing i think uh, technology can help address some of those and some of those we do also have to be uh, proactive in just realizing uh, that there is coordination overhead mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code lsm Uh, which gives you the benefit of fifteen percent off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has twenty percent discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. Um, you know, I'm sure you would have hired a lot of lot of salespeople, but uh, any uh, any insight or any advice on how do you structure the the hiring process and are there any you know must ask questions which helps you understand that you know this could be an A level. hiring uh, sales hire you know i wish i knew <laughs> <laughs> but i think uh, one of the things that uh, and i think this we've learned with our own experience the kind of sales person that you want to hire as your first sales person and the kind of sales person that you're hiring you know maybe as your sixth or seventh sales person they can look very different mm. um, right your first sales hire is in very in many ways uh, you know has to have that entrepreneurial founder type of mentality right yes. and uh, that person you know might actually not be the best fit uh, in a large scaled up organization uh, because they like to invent playbooks they can't you know necessarily follow a process they might not have the best crm hygiene but you know they're great at building relationships they're great at maybe putting the other person at ease um things like that so uh i think that changes and that changes pretty dramatically especially from that 1 to 10 journey uh and we've kind of seen that experience ourselves um and i think the other thing that helps is um, I, i like to actually test people for one thing which is empathy and i think that holds across the board um so you know you can observe it in many simple things like if you ask somebody to send you a calendar invite are they putting the subject with something that is more meaningful for you versus more meaningful for them right like it could be something as simple as do i put my name first or do i put your name first now when that's showing up on my calendar what is more you know worthy for me uh, it's it's actually more worthwhile for me to know who i'm speaking with rather than you know my own name um so you know simple things that help that show like you know are, how good are they with details and how good are they with empathy help mm interesting and uh, and do you also uh, use case studies uh, with candidates just to understand their uh, the thinking ability uh, 
Uh, and you suggest you know using such case studies. Um, not necessarily in our uh, sales process. Uh, for some roles we do, like for customer success roles, hmm. uh, where uh, you know we feel that the ability to problem solve uh, more deeply is more valuable. Um, we don't do that for at least our sales process. Hmm. Interesting. And um, and, and you know, uh, in, in a startup, we're always looking to hire someone, but if what if you know the or what are some of the early signs you see where a new hire is not working out and how do you, how do you measure their impact say in the, in the first three to six months yeah so i think uh like i said you know if it's your first sales hire and you're still trying to figure out uh, whether or not you have product market fit right, um, right? it's um, the first thing is you want to um, ideally hire two people at the same time, right? So that you can isolate for the fact that is it the person or is it my product market fit, right? Um, the second is that, uh, you know, once you've hired somebody uh, and you want to make a decision on whether or not it's working out, uh, you have to be fair in terms of deciding whether it's the controllables or the uncontrollables that are impacting their performance, right? So, um, you know, are they actually, so first is measure them on their inputs, right? And second is measure them on their coachability. So if you're giving them feedback, you know, are they actually incorporating that in the next iteration and are they doing the work even though they might not be getting the results? Because then, you know, it's the director's problem, not the actor's problem, right? Like mm. if you don't have the right script, then, you know, I, I can't make the best movie. Mm. So, um I think those are uh, two things to keep in mind, especially when you're very, very early and you're just hiring like your first uh, first two salespeople. Hmm. Got it, got it. Interesting. And uh, Shruti, uh, uh, I just want to do the top three quickly. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Oh, my favorite business book. Uh, so it's the Chris Voss book on negotiations. Oh, nice. Love that book. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started with Bang, what is one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I think I would have focused a lot more on uh, understanding how to build a brand and how to build trust for a brand. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, uh, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Uh, I think uh, Gmail, I uh, I'm a big power user of all the keyboard shortcuts and I've customized those for myself. Oh, interesting. Got it. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, mm-hmm. what is the best way people can reach out to you and, and know more about uh, Carrier Wingman? Well, not Gmail, because I get a lot of spam emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, so that's kind of the best way, place to find me. Uh, you can look for Shruti Kapoor uh, and search for Wingman uh, along with it. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, if you're building your business or if you're in sales, um, we have a fun newsletter, which has some of the fun facts that I was sharing around, you know, things that we've learned by massaging, by, by kind of, you know, uh, looking at data more deeply. Um, so, yeah, we can put that in the show notes and people can have some fun on Fridays. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Shruti, thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks, Rohit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. 
For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.